What's going on, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Monday, August 29th, 2022, as we're breaking down an impressive Cardinals series win over the Atlanta Braves, but in particular, Game 3 from Sunday, in which the Cardinals were getting shut out, no hit, looked as though they would perhaps fail to take advantage of another fantastic Adam Wainwright start, but they got the offense going, and then it was ripped away from them as one managerial decision that, man, I thought at the time was the right call by Ali Marmel to go to his bullpen and his best pitcher there in the seventh inning. It comes back to bite the Cardinals for a moment until the eighth inning happens and the Cardinals battle back. So a little bit of everything in Sunday's game. It concludes another series against a team that I consider to be a World Series contender. Cardinals have played one of those recently. Remember when they swept the Yankees, it was like, okay, this is a barometer. This is a measuring stick for how good this team could be in October. Cardinals passed that test. They passed the test against the Milwaukee Brewers a couple weeks ago with two out of three at Busch Stadium. And now they do it again against the Atlanta Braves. Two out of three, they take the series. We're going to be here right here on B-Shave Daily to break things down. We're going to focus on Sunday's game been a couple days since we've had a podcast over the weekend, but right back here for your Monday morning commute to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals team that just doesn't have the word quit in them. Talk about a resilient bunch. With the way things were going in the beginning of this game, offensively for the Cardinals, wouldn't have been that surprising to see most teams sort of fold. But the Cardinals don't have that in them. Adam Wainwright doesn't have it in them. Wainwright... Didn't get the chance to finish what he started in this game on Sunday, but he did enough for the Cardinals. Ryan Helsley, one regrettable pitch, but was able to pitch a clean eighth inning and gets the win in this game. Ryan Helsley's record, by the way, for the season, 9-1. and Kind of strange for a relief pitcher, but with the role that he's in, pitching in a lot of those leverage spots, and you think about all the times the Cardinals have battled back from either down in a game or... If Ryan Helsley's used in the ninth inning of a tie game and the Cardinals walk it off, that's happened a number of times. And so despite giving up the home run, he ends up getting the win in this game, finishes off the seventh, pitches in the eighth, and did enough for the Cardinals tonight, especially when you consider what the offense brought to the table. We're going to talk a lot about that offense on Sunday and how the Cardinals managed to win another very critical series as they continue the march toward October. Things are looking up right now for St. Louis. Another impressive weekend against another really good team. So we'll talk about all that and more, anything else that comes to mind on this edition of B-Shape Daily. But before we get into the content of the show, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Would love to have your subscription. You click the button to make sure that you are locked in on all future episodes of B-Shape Daily. Have them into your feed each morning. Talking about this Cardinals team that, man, they could be poised to make a run deep into October. We'll have to wait and see. But we'll be along for the ride right here on the show. And if you'd like to support the show and support B-Shape Daily, you can go to patreon.com slash bshafer12. Sign up there for a monthly subscription. Supporting B-Shape Daily and getting some extra goodies there as time goes along. Or you could head to my Twitter account at bshafer12 and click on the money tab where you'll be linked to some places where you can support B-Shape Daily that way. Appreciate your contributions as always, but let's just go ahead and get into the content of the show because we've got a lot to break down, as I mentioned, uh, been a couple of days since we've done a show. And so real quick, break down how the Cardinals got to this point 
from earlier in the weekend. Uh, Friday was a forgettable game. 11-4, the Braves won the series opener. It was another kind of so-so, not great start for Jose Quintana. Had a couple of walks mixed in there. Really, it was the Nolan Gorman error, though. That throwing error sailed the throw on what honestly could have been a double play. That sort of turned the tide in that game for the Cardinals for the worse. But in the end, Quintana gives up four runs. Two of them earned. Seven base hits, a couple of walks. Uh, lacking that quality start once again. But the bullpen really struggled in Friday's game as well. Henesis Cabrera, as we know by now, has been demoted to AAA Memphis following that outing in which he gave up five earned runs on six hits and a walk in one innings pitch. Like that was kind of the last straw for Henesis Cabrera. He has not been missing bats at all, and Friday was uh, the most egregious recent example of that. And so I think it was the right decision for the Cardinals to send him back down to Memphis. We'll see if he's able to figure things out because when he's right, he can be an effective pitcher for the Cardinals. But really, even though the ERA hadn't showed it the entire season, like his numbers, if you just took a glance at him, you might think, oh, he's he's been fine this year. He's He's been dealing with danger in a lot of different outings that he's had. And Friday was sort of the last straw. I think it was the right choice for the Cardinals. Offensively, they put up just four runs in that game on Friday. But... The drumbeat continues for Lars Newpar, Brendan Donovan. They combined to go four for 10 in that game, a couple of base hits apiece, and good to see Tyler O'Neill with a home run on Friday, but that was really all there was to write home about. Spencer Strider probably going to end up being the rookie of the year. He was fantastic in that game against St. Louis. Six innings, gave up just one run, and he struck out seven. So that was a tough way to start the series out for the Cardinals, but they remained resilient. And talking about resilience in a win on Saturday, six to five, the Cardinals do it twice in this series where they have to come from behind. And I don't know what it is about Tyler O'Neill being at home plate with the bases loaded in the ninth inning and finding a weird way to win a game this year. But it was just a couple of weeks ago that he had the walk-off hit by pitch at Bush Stadium. And this one ends up being a walk-off walk. The Cardinals did what they needed to do to their credit in the ninth inning on Saturday. They didn't really need to do much out of the element because Kenley Jansen was not on his game. One of the best closers in the game most of the time, but in this case, it was not Kenley Jansen's night. And the Cardinals found a way with Brendan Donovan kicking things off. Man, he just looks so good near the top of the lineup. I've been talking about on B-Shape Daily, find a way to get Brendan Donovan in there every single day. And sure enough, he's gotten a lot more playing time recently, and the Cardinals have been better for it with the opportunities he's been given. So he ripped a double to start things off in that Saturday ninth inning. Walked to Goldschmidt, hit by pitch to Arenado. I thought Arenado was about to go dad strength for the second time in the game. He had a huge game in that win on Saturday. Fell a triple short of the cycle, but had the double, had the home run. Had a couple more base hits and reached base via the hit by pitch. So he was on base five times in that game. Returned from the paternity list after the birth of his daughter and looked pretty good in the process of doing that. Jordan Montgomery wasn't great on the mound in that game on Saturday. Gave up five runs, eight hits. They they batted him around a little bit. Had a home run against him. A rarity for what's been a really good start to his Cardinals career. But that was a game where the bullpen came through. Jojo Romero has sort of developed into maybe that Genesis Cabrera role a little bit. And it's happened quickly. Remember, Romero comes over in the trade. That sent Mundo Sosa to Philly. He's been missing bats. He's been getting the job done for the Cardinals, not giving up base runners. So good to see that from him on Saturday. 
Keep an eye on him moving forward. I don't know how far he can elevate himself in terms of a role in the Cardinals' bullpen, but the sky could sort of be the limit at this point in terms of put him into a situation where you need outs against left-handed batters in particular or you need a left-handed pitcher to get you through an inning in a key spot in a game. They could ask Romero to become one of those relied-upon guys and see how he responds. Two strikeouts in an inning of scoreless work on Saturday. Jordan Hicks looked better. I, I like Jordan Hicks when he's able to go those multiple innings. I know that maybe we miss it on Saturday when uh, there have been a lot of people who said, oh, you can't use Jordan Hicks for a second inning every time he, he breaks down and it doesn't work out. Well, he got through both these innings pretty just fine. And two innings, gave up a couple of hits, but three strikeouts. The way he's been missing bats when it looks right is is something special to behold for the Cardinals. And I just mentioned a minute ago, talking about Ryan Helsley, the way he just seems to rack up wins by pitching in tie games in the ninth or uh, just close games in the ninth. This was a situation where the Cardinals were down 5-4, heading into ninth inning, but you're trying to throw your best foot forward, and, and Ryan Helsley was rested and available for Ollie Marnell, and Ollie said, let's put him in because we're down by one, and this is our best chance to keep it right where it's at. And kudos to the manager on Saturday for that decision because Helsley throws one scoreless inning, striking out a couple of batters and ends up giving the Cardinals what they needed to set up that run and that rally in the ninth. Which, again, Brandon Donovan was a big role in that. But I mentioned the Cardinals just doing what they could, taking what Kenley Jansen was giving them. Walk to Goldie, Nolan Arenado hits by the pitch, Corey Dickerson, uh, infield single, everybody's safe. And at that point, you're thinking, all right, Tyler O'Neill up to the bat. He's already homered in this series. He's a guy that seems to thrive in these moments, whether he puts the ball in play or not. And that was another instance where Tyler O'Neill was able to get it done. The walk-off walk, he walked three times in the game. Didn't get a base hit, but when you go 0-2 with three walks in the game winner, that's more than fine. It doesn't always have to be power for Tyler O'Neill when he Finished eighth place in the MVP vote last season in the National League. He's taking his walks. He was getting the job done. Sure, he was hitting for power. He was hitting for a pretty good batting average, and he had an OPS over 900. That has not been the case for his season this year. But it takes all kinds of games to get to a 912 OPS for the season. And if O'Neill can start to replicate that production from last year, the Cardinals are going to be dangerous. And there was another example. By the way, Kisner, I want to credit Andrew Kisner for the home run on Saturday, but not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that because we want to give you the breakdown of the most recent game, which was Sunday's win, 6-3 over the Atlanta Braves. Another comeback effort for the Cardinals. Pretty crazy for Ryan Helsley to get two wins in two days. Maybe even a little bit more crazy to consider that one of those was a blown save. So let's start there. Let's start with the conversation about the move to take Wainwright out of the game to go with Ryan Helsley in that spot. I like the aggression from Ali Marmel to go to the guy perceived as your closer in a non-safe situation if you think that's the biggest spot in the game. And it arguably was at the time. You didn't know that there was going to ever be a bigger spot later on than that one right there. If Ryan Helsley can close it down, evidently. And there are times where right Ryan Helsley's not been able to throw on consecutive days earlier this season. But clearly this was a day where Ryan Helsley said, I've got my arm feels good. I've got what you need. And Ali Marmel was looking for Helsley to get one out there quick to get out of that seventh. And then you know you can leave him in for the eighth, maximizing uh, what you can do with Helsley against that Braves lineup. And then you go to Geo for the ninth inning. That was that seemed to be the game plan. The only difference in the way that got changed was the fact that Helsley doesn't get Dansby Swanson out there in the seventh inning. Adam Wainwright had thrown 100 pitches 
DSB Swanson had a, a relatively sharp line out in the previous at bat, but prior to that moment in his career against Adam Wainwright, Dansby didn't have a whole lot going for him. I think just two for 11 coming into this game and had been over on the night. So it's not like it was a matchup thing, but that's a an additional time through the batting order sort of thing. And only Marmel decided that was when they were going to cut it loose. Fourth time through the order, Dansby's the leadoff batter. You've got that matchup with the leadoff man, and then the remainder of the middle of that Braves order is a dangerous spot. And so it makes sense that Ali Marmel wanted Helsley to face that group. Ideally, though, it would have been get Dansby Swanson out, and then you get Olsen, Riley, Darno in the eighth inning. Two, three, four in the lineup. I think that was the game plan. I think it makes sense to go that way because you know that Ryan Helsley just has hardly ever given up home runs so far this season, and that was... You know, obviously the one thing that he could do that could take the Cardinals from in the lead to now you're trailing in the game. And it just didn't seem likely. It seemed maybe more likely to the Cardinals manager that Adam Wainwright, up over 100 pitches, might leave a pitch in a place that he didn't mean to leave it, and that could end up costing the Cardinals. I think, obviously in retrospect, we know what happened, so you can use hindsight. But if you if you take yourself to that moment, did anybody think Ryan Helsley was giving up a bomb there? And was anybody else getting a little bit fearful that, all right, a couple of men on base... Could this be a spot where where maybe Wainwright is not the best man for the job at this point? Wainwright certainly, and you saw his reaction for the dugout after the home run, certainly would have liked to stay in for that. But I think Ollie was managing aggressively like a playoff series. We've talked about the notion that this series was perhaps going to be managed more like a playoff series. We talked about it a lot on the big show on KTGR last week. And uh, if you're Mizzou Tigers fans, by the way, it's going to be a great week to jump in with the big show because Mizzou football starts on Thursday, September 1st. So that'll be a lot of fun. But we were talking last week about the notion that, yeah, this series would potentially be managed like it was October. You've got two teams that are, I don't know, World Series contenders. I think the Braves are. And and the Cardinals, by continuing to beat some of these better teams, I think are starting to show their chops in that when they're at their best, they are absolutely contenders for the World Series the way they are currently constructed. So, I like the aggression. I think that's a move that you would see in game four of an NLDS. Is it always the right move? Is it always going to work out? Not necessarily. But if you use the information at your disposal at the time and try to make the best decision possible, I think that's what Ali Marmel was looking to do. And it bit him this time. Yes, Wainwright is a workhorse. He's a an absolute animal on the mound. He wants those situations. He wants to get out of those jams. But in that spot, I don't... If, if Helsley said, I've got this, and he's been your best pitcher in a relief role all season, and Adam Wainwright's been very good, he ends up still with a quality start today, six and two-thirds, two hits allowed, had good command because he didn't walk anybody, but ERA for the season, 3.09. For Ryan Helsley, even after today, it's 1.04, even after giving up that home run. So I don't hate it. I like. I think it was a good matchup to set up even better matchups for the eighth inning and it just so happens that this time it did not work out. But again, for a lot of teams, that would be absolutely a debilitating situation. You get no hit for six innings, or into the sixth, I should say. Which, by the way, we should talk about that. Now that we've worked our way backward, discuss the decision to bring Helsley in for Wayne right there in the seventh. Let's talk about how Lars Newpar ended up with a home run to break up a no-hitter on just the least likely home run I think anybody's ever seen. Because if you looked at his reaction in the batter's box, he just stood there because it probably thought it would be a foul ball. But 
it was just hilarious to watch the replay of all the thoughts that were coursing through his mind as he just sort of golfed it, snuck it inside fair, down the left field line, an opposite field shot. Lars Newpar, his ninth of the season. And he was pumped, man, after he got it because that's a tie game. Able to come up with the lead there. Really, just a really funny moment and a good moment for the Cardinals and just continues to be the man atop the batting order. That was his lone hit on the day in a one-for-three day, but he also reached base via walk and scored a run. I mentioned Brendan Donovan. He was on base a couple of times, one-for-three with two runs scored. Just fantastic stuff at the top of the order from those two guys. And uh, no RBIs today for Paul Goldschmidt, but if you are looking triple crown and you're thinking maybe Goldie's got a shot for it, it's going to be because those guys, Newt Barr and Donovan, just continue to get on base in front of him against right-handed pitching. And it's only a matter of time before Goldie starts racking up more RBIs. Just a one-for-four night for him today. Very off night for Goldie. But the OPS on the season still sitting pretty at 1050. 1050 for Paul Goldschmidt. Arenado, one-for-four, had an RBI later in that sixth inning. Make it 2 nothing Cardinals. And then you flash forward to what happened there in the seventh with Ryan Helsley giving up a three-run shot. A couple of those runs charged to Wainwright. So where do the Cardinals go from there? Well, they stick to the game plan, first of all, because it's a one-run game. You're right in the mix. And Helsley clearly told the manager, I've got more than one inning in me tonight. And he gives the Cardinals a really quality eighth inning, ends up with three strikeouts in the game in an inning in a third. So of the four outs he records, three of them are via strikeout. It's just one bad pitch to Dansby Swanson that gets him. But the Cardinals aren't done with it. And what we see in the eighth inning is what can just make the Cardinals so ridiculously dangerous. Because you think about the, the names of the guys that have been carrying the Cardinals offense recently. Talk about Newt Bar Donovan. I love the look at the top of the lineup against righties. I'll continue to shout it from the rooftops. You know Goldie Arenado. You know what they're going to give you. Corey Dickerson didn't do much in this game today with an 0 for 2 before he was pinch hit for with Albert Pujols. Get that chance against a lefty after you get to the bullpen. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, by the way, was was the guy no-hitting the Cardinals there for a while. He came up with a pretty good start for Atlanta today, but ends up giving up that home run to Newt Bar and uh, find a way to scratch a single across if you're Nolan Arenado to get that second run. So five and two-thirds for Odorizzi. Really weird to me, talking about these uh, American League contenders who have these quality starting pitchers that they trade away for no reason. Like the Astros, how can you be so flush with pitching that you're like, yep, we could send Jake Odorizzi away. He's got a 3.90 ERA for the season, just a really good back end of the rotation kind of guy. And sometimes he pitches like a front end guy. And that's what you like to have at the uh, the four or five spot in your rotation. But yeah, the Astros trading him away. Jordan Montgomery, we know, has done good things for the Cardinals despite a, a little bit of a rough start over the weekend. But the Yankees were like, yeah, we don't need you. We'll trade you for a guy in a walking boot. I don't know. I can't explain it, but the Cardinals aren't the Cardinals aren't hating for that decision by uh, Brian Cashman. But anyway, what the Cardinals do there in the eighth inning, consider the sources of the offensive outburst there in the eighth. Tommy Edmond with one of the hardest hit balls of the season, and boy, I, I got some messages from people who said, "Yeah, that's the hardest ball I've I've heard off anyone's bat all year," and you can hear it loud and clear via the video replay as well. Tommy Edmond got absolutely all of that one. I believe it got over the bullpen. And a really sweet swing from the right side for Edmond to get the Cardinals back tied in this game. John Rooney went ballistic on that one. 112.1 miles per hour off the bat by Tommy Edmond. Not a guy that you necessarily think about having that kind of 
wallop to his bat, but he did in this one, and it was in a big spot for the Cardinals. And then to have Tyler O'Neill tack on and cash in the way that he did, didn't start in the game, but had a pretty good weekend. We talked about what he did the last couple of days, and then to come in late as a replacement defensively following the Pujols pinch hit for Dickerson. Obviously a good defensive upgrade from Dickerson to O'Neill, but he ends up getting an important at-bat as well. The three-run shot on DeFreeze's lawn. Talk about A.J. Minter not having a great game and really can look at two consecutive games in a row where he called it the Braves' closer. You know, Minter's one of their top relievers. Kenley Jansen was the guy that coughs it up on Saturday. He's typically their closer. That is some gutsy performance by the Cardinals against a really good Braves bullpen. To have two games in a row where you come back from behind, getting the job done in the ninth inning on Saturday in the walk-off fashion with the walk, and Kenley was just all over the place on Saturday in that ninth inning. But then A.J. Minter, he's a guy that does not give up home runs. He's given up four home runs all year. Two of them were tonight. And prior to tonight, his career high in home runs surrendered was three. So Cardinals get the matchups they want there. Edmund, again, 112 off the bat is just remarkable. But how about that swing? Freezes lawn. Tyler O'Neill barrels it up 423 feet to dead straightaway center field. When Tyler O'Neill is going, when guys like Tommy Edmund are going offensively, and typically it's not the power game that's going to provide production for Tommy Edmund, but Cardinals will certainly take it in a game like tonight. But man, Tyler O'Neill is that key cog, is he not? 230 batting average on the season, 677 OPS for the season. That pales in comparison to what he can do. But this was a big series and maybe a constructive one for Tyler O'Neill to be able to maybe get back on the horse. In three games, here's what he does. One for three. Why did I say it like that? Does. I think I got caught between did and does, and I just went with does. Anyway, Friday, one for three hit the home run. Reach base via walk. Saturday, walk three times, including the game-winning walk. And then today, only one at-bat, but it was a big one. The three-run shot. I mean, talk about a momentum boost for Tyler O'Neill in a season that has just been up and down with a lot more downs and ups. And you consider the injuries and you consider the time he's been on the team, on the active roster, in the lineup, and just not performing the way that he knows he's capable. That can be a challenging thing mentally for a guy who goes, all right, he knows what kind of athletic presence he is. He knows he's a good baseball player. He finally can overcome enough injuries and and lack of opportunity for playing time in 2021 to show the world, like, this is who I am. I can finally announce my presence. There's no doubting it anymore. I always knew it was in there, but now everybody else knows it too. And you have that full season where just you put it all together and you elevate yourself into consideration. Like, everybody knows you're a gold glover. Everybody knows that you're a middle-of-the-order bat on a contending team, and nobody's thinking about replacing your spot. You're locked in. You're talking, I mean, it didn't happen, obviously, but I'm sure there's a lot of thoughts and conversations about would the Cardinals sign him to an extension? We've talked about it here on B-Shape Daily prior to the season. Could that be something in the cards? Didn't end up happening, went to arbitration. With all the weirdness and the lockout and everything, it did get settled, I don't think, until the season began for his arbitration case, but... Tyler O'Neill always got to do is put it together. And, you know, I think that beginning of the season, maybe that was hanging over his head a little bit, not having that resolved. 
but then that doesn't end up being an excuse for the, the remainder of the season. But you have some time on the IL. You get injured. Things happen. It's just been a weird year for Tyler O'Neill. But if he's able to start putting it together right now at the end of August, all is forgiven, folks. Because if the Cardinals get that Tyler O'Neill, the 9-12 OPS, eighth place in the MVP vote, Gold Glover, Tyler O'Neill, that they had last season, and they put that into the five spot in their lineup on a regular basis, whether you're against righties, lefties, he's going to always hit lefties better because he's a right-handed hitter. But his splits weren't that egregious last year. He still had an 888 OPS against righties in 2021. So that's what he's capable of doing. And we know that Newt Bardonovan are crushing. They're getting on base. They're setting the table for the big guns in the middle, goalie, Arenado. And if O'Neill can be another example of that, man, how critical would that be? Because in this game, O'Neill sits out against a righty. They had sat Dylan Carlson against so many righties, you might have forgot he was still on the team and still an option. But guess what? Tonight, he starts against a righty over three, three strikeouts. He does reach base via walk, but it it was a continuation of what we've seen where Carlson has not been particularly adept against right-handed pitching. And if Dickerson is not going to keep up his hitting, which he was on a ridiculous pace, setting a franchise record for 10 hits in a row, that's not going to continue. And the upside of Carlson, I think, is greater. But the upside of Tyler O'Neill is greatest. And I recognize that O'Neill would have to play center field, and that's not always what you want. Carlson, it's really does, it's best for the Cardinals and everybody involved if Dylan Carlson could figure it out against right-handed pitching. I would begin to suggest he stop switch hitting. It's so egregious at this point. The differences are night and day. I don't know if it's because he's just not swinging the bat well from the left side or if it's because he's struggling against right-handed pitching. It's kind of hard to chicken or egg that whole deal because he's a switch hitter. So you just expect that, well, he should be able to hit the pitching, but that's the way he hits. Ozzy Albies is a good example of a guy that was a switch hitter, stopped for a while, figured it out, and then in the offseason he returned to hitting uh, to hitting switch hit. He's injured right now for the Braves, so we didn't see him this weekend. But that's an example of a guy that has experimented with maybe going just the one way that you're, you're strongest with when your splits are particularly egregious, and then maybe you work it out later on in your career. Like, I'm not saying Dylan has to not be a switch hitter forever, I would like to see him try. And this is such a like armchair quarterback thing, but other I've seen Cardinals fans talk about it and wonder why doesn't he try just hitting from the right side against righties? And obviously you say, well, it's not an advantage because uh, you know, you won't be able to see breaking pitches as well. That's why you switch hits so that you can maintain that advantage as the batter. But if he's not if his OPS is six hundred against right handed pitching, can it get much worse? That's not productive for the lineup. And so I would say yeah, I'd be in favor of it, but I don't know if those are conversations that the Cardinals uh, would have with him or if that's just a case of we're going to let the player do what he's most comfortable with. But the Cardinals as a team could really use Dylan Carlson uh, heating up against right-handed pitching to his capabilities. But even more important than Dylan Carlson offensively is Tyler O'Neill. If you get Tyler O'Neill, the guy that can slug the way that he is capable and can take pitches and take his walks when he's given them, the number of walks from this weekend, that's a guy that is a combination power hitter and an on-base threat. When you walk four times over a weekend, but you also hit two home runs, that's that you're unstoppable at that point. If Okay, if they put the strike zone together and they pitch Jimmy, I'm going to hit over the wall. If they don't, I'm going to take my base. Oh, and I'm also pretty fast. I might turn out to steal some bases, though he didn't do that this weekend. He's certainly capable of doing it. 
especially when he's when he's healthy and going good. He's had some different injuries this year, and that hasn't maybe been as much a part of his game as it used to be. But that's just the threat that Tyler O'Neill could be. And if he's batting fifth in the lineup, right-handed pitching, left-handed pitching, doesn't matter to me. Suddenly, he could be that kind of... I, I use the phrase often, if you're a Marvel fan, you know what I'm talking about. Infinity Stone. O'Neill can be an Infinity Stone-type batter in a lineup. He just hasn't been this year. But maybe this was a weekend that gets him going because he was this weekend. Like I said, four walks, couple of home runs. It's not a bad weekend at the office for Tyler O'Neill. And Tommy Edmonds, a guy that we, it's so interesting because it seems like every every other game he's doing something pretty special offensively to help his team, but the the overall numbers are just a little frustrating. OPS is still below 700, on base is 315, which is seems like better than it was, but 26 stolen bases, 10 home runs, a little more consistency, and Tommy Edmonds would be one of the most valuable players in the league. And he still is in terms of wins above replacement, whether you trust those metrics or not, because his defense is so good. I need to laud Tommy Edmond for his defense from Sunday in particular. Started the double play by catching the, the line drive and doubling the guy off at first base. Makes makes a, a couple really good plays, knocking balls down. He's just all over the place. At shortstop, second base doesn't matter. That's such a value to the team. But when he's batting ninth, doing those things defensively and bringing the Thunder offensively like he did with that big home run in the eighth, the Cardinals are a different team, man. Like, you're starting to figure out where the, the sources of offensive generation can come from. Newt Bart, Donovan, Goldschmidt, Arenado, O'Neal, lock him in. Edmund, I would have him in there most days because his defense is just too good to sit, and his offense is much better than Paul DeYoung. He's the alternative at shortstop, so Tommy's in the, in the lineup. If he's batting ninth, doing what he's doing, he's going to steal 30 bases and, and hit double-digit home runs as a nine-hitter. Yes, you wish for more consistency, but you like what he brings to the table. He's irreplaceable. Like right now, that's what he's showing because Paul DeYoung hasn't replaced him. Paul DeYoung has not hit enough to dictate his regular place in the lineup, and so you're starting to see that fall fall out of favor a little bit. But Edmund continuing to get uh, uh, the job done, honestly. Offensively, coming up a little bit from where he was, uh, that's pretty good to see. little concerned about Gorman, the OPS down to 746, but he's had... Some good moments, and even over this weekend, he had good moments, but over two with a couple of strikeouts in the game on Sunday, and that's against right-handed pitching where he's supposed to uh, be able to thrive, but we saw him have a good game Friday night. It was just a little bit overshadowed because of the fact that the team didn't have a great game, but he stung a couple of balls, two for four with a run scored on Friday, over since then, not the end of the world, but you know, you're not going to have everybody going at once. I just think that O'Neill is five. Gorman could be six or seven against righties in, in particular. And against lefties, obviously, you'll have Albert Pujols in there. And O'Neill is going to crush lefties as I drop my sunglasses. I'll leave that in there. O'Neill is going to crush lefties. Albert's going to crush lefties. So if you've got an Albert batting five, O'Neill batting six lineup going on against left-handed pitching, like the Cardinals, is, their lineup's getting longer. And they're starting to piece it together of what it should look like. Games like today and series like this weekend, I think, further illustrate that when you can score six runs on Sunday. You just find a way to do it. You can score six runs on Saturday. You just find a way to do it. And four runs on Friday, that was a game that they would have had to really bust out the boomsticks if they were going to out-hit what Atlanta did. So you're not always going to win with those run totals. You still need pitching. But I love the consistency, if you go back over the last few weeks, of how often the Cardinals are finally scoring in that four, five, six range. 
they're oftentimes allowing because they've always been able to bust out, right? They have the double digit games or they'll have the games where they score eight, but they're starting to find ways to limit those games where they totally are unproductive. In the Chicago series, there were a couple of those games. You had the 18 innings in a row where you scored just one run. But against a really good team this weekend, like if you're going 4-6-6 six, six against a good pitching staff in the Atlanta Braves, that's going to win you enough games. It did this weekend, and the Cardinals didn't have the best pitching weekend either. Wainwright was very good today, but in the game on Saturday, it was Montgomery kind of struggling, but the bullpen really came through. And the bullpen came through today outside of the Helsley pitch. Just one pitch by him, but he pitched good in the eighth. Gio pitching well in the ninth. 13th save of the season for Giovanni Gallegos on Sunday. So, like, I like the blend that the Cardinals are coming up with, and they find ways, like, you can have a pitching staff that is, say, it's the 11th best in baseball, and you've got an offense that's the 8th best in baseball. I don't know if those are factual. I'm just kind of, but sometimes that doesn't equate to a top 10 team in baseball. You might have those ingredients, but not know how to get it done in the clutch. The Cardinals are proving themselves to be a clutch team in addition to uh, all the other facets that make them good, the individual bullpen, the individual starting rotation, the offense. And really, you can break the offense down into what they do against lefties and what they do against righties because platoons have been as important to this team as I think we've seen over the past 5, 10 years. They've really leaned into it, and it's helping them maximize their situations, and Ollie does a good job. Ollie Marble does a good job of managing that those spots, and, and I've continued to be impressed with it. Uh, so that's the way it breaks down this weekend. I do want to mention, though, one thing we'll talk about before we get out of here. Only Marmol, I brought him up, and that's what jogged my memory. Uh, John Boy, over the weekend, I think it was Friday that he, that he came out with this, finally posted a lip reading of the C.B. Buckner, Ali Marmol incident. And if you don't follow John Boy, if you're familiar with him on Twitter, either way, go check it out. Scroll back to his feed on August 27th. Uh, I don't want to play the audio here because I don't want to get any legal trouble with uh, John Boy who came up with that. But it's really good stuff. and. I think he's probably spot on with a lot of what he diagnosed in terms of the lip reading where Ollie and Ollie admitted this after the game. He said he questioned my time in the league talking about CB Buckner and Buckner was terrible. By the way, John boy put together some of the, the worst calls from that game. And maybe the most egregious one was actually a strike that was not called a strike, but it was a, a, a pitch that was thrown by Merrill Kelly of the diamondbacks and the Cardinals get away with it in that case. So both managers both sides, both dugouts recognized it. And that's part of what Ollie said in the lip reading where he said, those guys don't know what you're doing. We don't know what you're doing. You haven't been close all night. It's been terrible. Is the nice family friendly way to say some of the things that Ollie said, but there were, there were some really good elements of this where, and I had said even on B shape daily last week, when we talked about it, that CB Buckner was out of line for the way he was carrying on and yelling back at Ollie, even after, other umpires and people were separating Ollie from Buckner. He kept yelling back to the Cardinals manager, which was just unprofessional and childish in my opinion. But then with John Boy, we get the lip reading of what he was actually saying, and it matches up pretty good to me. Ollie was pointing out that both dugouts agree that you've been garbage tonight, CB. And CB said, well, that's why you're not in the game anymore or something to that effect. And Ollie basically said, you shouldn't be in the game anymore at all, not just today. And it looked like Ollie said, your time is up. Like your time is past in terms of your involvement with the game. 
And then that's when CB just, I think he reiterated and repeated this, even as Ollie was walking away, was being kind of pushed away by everybody that was separating the two. I think it was another umpire. But CB just kept saying, you just got here. You just got here. You just got here. As in, you just got to your role as a big league manager, and therefore you are not qualified to tell me that I am calling a bad game. Even though he was calling an absolutely garbage game. Some of the worst umpiring calls I've seen all year. And by the way, we've seen a lot of bad umpires this year. But man, Buckner was awful in that game in Arizona. And so I wanted to make sure we address that. Don't have to spend too much time talking about it. I will recommend going to John Boy's account from August 27th on Twitter at John Boy underscore. Some good stuff there and uh, maybe a good laugh for Cardinals fans. It might make you also like retroactively upset, though, because uh, Buckner was totally in the wrong. We knew it at the time, but now with the uh, the good lip reading and John Boy's always good at those, I think we have even further confirmation uh, that uh, some wrongs were committed by the home plate umpire in that case. But, hey, we're used to that. We're used to seeing that all year long. I still can't find myself in favor of the the robot umpire camp. But maybe there could be a case where, you know, borderline calls, you let the, the human judgment come into play. I like, I still like the element of catchers have to frame, have to know what they're doing there. But they should be buzzed. They should have like a, like a shock collar if they have an egregious miss. Like some of these balls were like, there was there it couldn't have been anymore in the middle. And he calls them a ball. Pitch to Arenado was so far off the plate that the broadcast for the Diamondbacks started laughing. Just like audible laughter. That's all. That's the only reaction they could muster. And that's for the other team saying that. Called a strike on a ball six, eight inches, ten inches inside on Arenado. And Nolan, <laughs> we know that Nolan's had his run-ins with the umpires over the past week. It was Libka, though, that threw him out, right? This was C.B. Buckner. And he just kind of looked back and he goes, what? Really? So there's there's been some egregious ones for sure. But I don't know. That that Buckner situation might have been might have been the worst one of the year. But uh, hey, there's still over a month left of baseball to play, so maybe we'll maybe we'll get to add to that list as time goes on. Like I said, though, as much as I recognize there have been some bad ones, not a fan of the, the robot umpire idea. I would prefer just a shock collar to say, hey, if it's egregious, we're going to step in and tell you that you missed one. But uh, you know, maybe that technology, maybe that's something I can get Rob Manford to work on, in addition to some of the other rule changes that he thinks are super cool across Major League Baseball. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, check out the Patreon if you're interested. Thank you guys so much, and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.